Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Welcome to another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today I'm interviewing Keith Barron, a mining entrepreneur based in Canada, with a career steadied into three decades. So has a lot of stories and content to share with us. Um, so I appreciate the, you taking the time, Keith, to do this podcast. So let's get straight into it. And wondered if you can give our listeners um, a little bit of an overview of your background. Um, starting off when you, I suppose, um, through education, when you studied a degree, um, and then how you got into the industry to, to kick, kick us off. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I am Canadian, but I'm, I'm not based in Canada anymore. Oh, okay. I'm actually living in Switzerland. Okay, uh, and very I've, nice. I've been there for 10, 10 years now. Um, but uh, I, I, gosh, I've been involved in the business for over 30 years now. Um, yeah. I have a bachelor's degree from the University of Toronto in geology and a PhD uh, from the University of Western Ontario. And I'm also an adjunct professor at the okay. university. Um, so from time to time, I, I lecture there. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. so when you first graduated many years, many years ago, um, mm-hmm. what, sorry, what did you graduate in and then how did you, what did you do when you entered into the industry? Who did you work for and what, what did you do? Well, I actually moved over to the UK when I was 15 and okay. I lived in the Isle of Man. Okay, very and, nice. And the Isle of Man has, uh, it's, it's very unique geology. It has the second largest uh, uh, mine in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. It's called the Great Laxey Mine. It runs right out under the Irish Sea. And uh, it was not too far away from my house. And so I, I used to go and play on the dumps and muck about and collect minerals and everything. And um, that's where really uh, a lot of my interest came in, in, in into geology. Okay. And, uh, and so um, did, when did your, I... Did your parents mm, live there? That's why you, you were there? Yeah. That's okay. right. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually took geology. I got uh, I got uh, an O level in geology uh, doing it for two years uh, in high school. And after that, when I went to university at University of Toronto, I decided to take that as a degree. So um, I, I ended up uh, working for, oh, all kinds of companies uh, to start off with start my career though mostly uh major companies i worked for battle mountain i worked for goldfields uh, i did a little bit of work for naranda um and then um a whole host of juniors gosh probably number way over 40 now right, uh, okay. different junior companies um lived in 19 countries now around the world um i've been to uh Gosh, it must be close to a hundred countries now. <laughs> okay, what's your yeah. what's your what's your best country you lived in then? Oh well, I have to say Switzerland. Okay, of course. Well, well maybe they chuck me out if I <laughs> say nice things about them. But it is a lovely place, especially yeah. this time of year. And um, and um, what I suppose, what country 
do you enjoy working? If you've been to obviously over 100 countries, um, mm. obviously doing exploration work, I take it. Yes. What, what would you say the most interesting country was? Or if there's a couple of countries that were, were I suppose, challenging and um, obviously rewarding as well. Well, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm working very much in Ecuador right now. And Ecuador is a real frontier land because there's still places in Ecuador that have never, ever had a, a geologist walk over them. Yep. Very, very few places like that in the world. I mean, you know, uh, future generations are going to have to go to, the, go to Mars or to the moon uh, to get the similar sort of reactions that I've had. Uh, in the in the recent past, uh, just going out to our our, um, our property in Ecuador, but I've also um, just in the last six months I've been um, in Western Australia in the Pilbara, yeah, um, and uh, looked at the uh, the gold discovery there, um, the 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 nuggets of gold being found on surface, very 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 intriguing geology, and uh, just recently I was in Hokkaido Island. Uh, the very northernmost island of uh, Japan, uh, looking at a, a very high-grade uh, epithermal gold discovery. Um, so there are still things around the world, uh, certainly, the, to catch my eye. Yeah, certainly. So I just want to go back to, obviously, when you when you graduated, you said you worked for, obviously, quite a few of the, the major companies. Did you, were you just a, a, a sort of a geologist and work your way up to management? Or did you just get your grounding in some of those bigger companies before then going out on more so on your own? Well, at, at the time that I graduated was the time when the oil companies decided to offload all their minerals uh, subdivisions. So there were a ton of people came on the market all at once. And um, I couldn't get myself a permanent job. Uh, certainly, there was nowhere I was ever going to get to management experience. So I was basically what they call a grunt. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and, and I was doing things like soil surveys and just general mapping programs. Uh, um, gosh, I ended up doing pretty much every kind of Joe job you can think of uh, yeah. in the industry. And it's a good thing because... Uh, certainly, as as a as a manager now, uh, I know what it takes to get these jobs done, and yeah. how long it takes, and and how difficult they can be. Um, so it was a, a real education that way. But um, I guess it was in the early '90s. Um, I I hit upon an idea. That there had been a a big diamond discovery in Canada uh, in 1990. And uh, I kind of got involved in the thing peripherally. I was given a job by the Geological Survey of Canada uh, to look at some samples uh, from the, the diamond area in, uh, in northern Canada because they didn't have any personnel with any experience. Um, and, uh, and from that, I kind of uh, built myself into a little bit of an expert. Uh, ended up working on and off in diamonds for 11 years. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, certainly um, after that uh, episode, uh, then I, I went uh, internationally and, and decided in, in really the, the early 90s to start doing some things on my own, yeah. uh, self-financed projects, and uh, actually found a, a Kimberlite pipe in, in 1993, drilled it, uh, made about, uh, with my partner, $75,000, which we shared, 
And I remember my father at the time telling me, go out and do it again. Yes. <laughs> and I said, Dad, it's not that easy. It's, uh, it's a lot of hard work to put these things together. And that was a culmination of about a, a year of uh, planning and exploration and, and, uh, and, and kind of uh, going through uh, references and tracking the minerals and all the rest of it. Uh, many, many steps. Anyway, so... Um, I kind of got bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, and then yeah. after that, uh, uh, did various things in many, many different countries around the world, and set up uh, projects in Guyana, uh, in South America, uh, in uh, in Venezuela. I was uh, working in Venezuela until Chavez got uh, got into power and kind of nixed the whole thing. Um, I, I did, um, I was a partner in a company in South Africa looking for diamonds, um, gosh, all, all over the place. So, yeah. uh, doing various things and, 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 uh, I ended up really exposed to pretty much every, uh, commodity out there. Uh, right now I own a, a sapphire mine, a privately owned sapphire mine. It's the second largest in the world. Um, and, um. You know, uh, that's in my spare time. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> it sounds it. It sounds it because obviously you're, you're traveling. You seem to be traveling around the world to various, various um, sites, various continents. So I imagine you are you are pretty busy. Um, I just want to take you back. You mentioned something which I think the audience, uh, some people in the audience may, um, our listeners may be interested in. You said when I asked you about um, whether you when you work for the larger companies, whether you worked as a geologist and then move up into management, and you said it was pretty hard to find a job. Speaking to even speaking to a few candidates today who who are struggling to find work, no matter what level they are at, doesn't necessarily have to. They were at management. What kind of things did you do back then to try and get your foot on the ladder or try and get a position? Because that could that could help some people. Um, may, who may not have thought of different ways in which they can uh, get work. Um, some of the things that you may have done, they might be able to do. I, I actually um, gave a uh, an address uh, just on on uh, on Sunday uh, to um, 200 students at uh, Brandon University in Manitoba uh, about exactly this. Okay. And uh, it was called "My Adventures on Other People's Money." <laughs> Right. Okay. Yeah. That, sound, that sounds interesting. Career, yeah. Most of my career has been financed by 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 companies, of course, or yeah. or uh, uh, and it's only in kind of latter years that I've been been uh, paying for things yeah. uh, myself. But uh, you know, I said to the students, it's a it's a wonderful life when you get into things. It's very very exciting going around these different countries and experiencing different cultures and 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 things. But to get your, your foot on the ladder, um, it was very difficult for me to get uh, work abroad um, yeah. outside of Canada until I got my degree. And that's because it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's just difficult to, uh, to get the paperwork done. Uh, a lot of countries will not recognize you as a geologist unless you actually have uh, the letters beside yeah. your name and you've actually completed a, a, a formal degree somewhere yeah so that's the first thing and uh, like for instance in Canada Canada and, and US the US uh, government we uh, share what's left of the free trade agreement 
uh, Canadians can work freely in America, uh, but they have to have a degree, and yeah. you have to actually show it at the border um, to uh, you know to verify that you actually are a geologist or a geological engineer. Um, so what did I do? Well, gosh, you know, you have to really uh, make yourself marketable, be able to, yeah. to, to willing to go almost anywhere and do any job. Um, so that was one thing. Um, not uh, be too frightened about languages or cultures. Um, I got parachuted into a job in 1993 uh, in Venezuela uh, with a private diamond company and my boss said look you're going to learn Spanish sink or swim I'm gonna come back in one month and if you can't effectively communicate with the employees then uh, I'm gonna boot you out of here right. so under, <laughs> under pressure before you start that you've got to learn language within four That's weeks right yeah and, and I I didn't know I had no knowledge of, of, of Spanish whatsoever yeah. Um, uh, I think maybe going to a couple of taco restaurants was about <laughs> right. my extent yeah. of it. Yeah. So, uh, um, so I had a very, very well-thumbed dictionary, and um, I managed to scrape by, and I've been scraping by ever since, so <laughs> I've, I've very, very much improved now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I did the same, same sort of thing. I worked in Kazakhstan for a year and a half. Uh, I had to learn a bit of Russian there. Yeah. Uh, in Brazil, I had to learn Portuguese. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, you, you, you get by. Yeah. I um, think, I, I, cause I've, I've been, I, I went to the, the minds and money conference uh, in London, uh, end mm. of last year and met quite a few graduates who were struggling to, to find opportunities. And a lot of them would have gone anywhere. So mm -hmm. what did you, is it a case of knocking on people's doors? Is it a case of just introducing yourself to as many people as you can, tell them what you can do, tell them what you can offer them. And, mm -hmm. and by, I suppose by a numbers game, by doing that opportunities will present itself. Is that mm -hmm. how it happened probably back then? Well, as I, I told the uh, students last week, um, I remember when I graduated, I sent a, 166 letters off. This is okay. part of my presentation. Yeah. Uh, to mining companies, um, I had 113 responses, all saying no. Okay. Uh, the rest of them didn't even bother responding. At least that and, was a quite good percentage responding, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I think there are a lot less. Uh, there's a lot less number of companies around. A lot of those have merged and they're just gone. Yeah. Uh, now. Uh, but nevertheless, um, I, I just kept knocking on doors and, yeah. uh, it took me, uh, I ended up not working in geology for, uh, a period of about, uh, nine, 10 months, yeah. uh, doing any job that I could get a hold of just to kind of put bread on the table. Yeah. And, um, and then out of the blue, um, there was a job offering at uh, my former university uh, went up on the wall uh, with uh, Goldfields Canadian Mining, which was a subsidiary of Goldfields UK. Um, I actually was so desperate, I ripped the <laughs> ripped it down, right. and stuffed it in my pocket, <laughs> and ran outside the building. And this is before cell phones. I I, I rang the uh, the number on the uh, on the advertisement and yeah. uh, and got the job immediately. Right. Uh, okay reported for work the next day so that yeah. was that was what put me on the path yeah 
and uh, I've I've always been in work since. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah. you know, you just you, you you have to be very 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 persistent. Yeah. And um, eventually something will come through. Um, and another thing as well, I, I told the students about. Uh, you remember the the massive Brex fraud that happened in Indonesia yep. back in 1997. Well, there was five billion dollars that went uh, to Money Heaven, and uh, after that, there was a lot of uh, trust between investors and and uh, junior mining companies that dissolved. Uh, for a period of about five years, and it was very, very difficult uh, to get a job uh, with a, a junior company that was interested in, in gold, um, okay. because it had been a gold fraud. And, and what did I do? Well, I decided I went to South Africa um, and worked in diamonds. Okay. Um, so kind of, uh, I, I weathered the storm there. So mm. I chose another commodity and uh, I managed to uh, uh, to to wait it out until yeah. things times got better. Okay, mm -hmm. so I suppose to any whether it's geologists, whether it's mine engineers, whether any any I suppose any um, discipline is keep persistence, brand yourself, um, and make sure obviously you're credible when you're branding yourself. Keep knocking on everyone's door no matter what mm. the commodity is because obviously people may want to go into gold may want to go into copper but mm -hmm. it's just a, i suppose sometimes that it, within this type of market it's just uh, stumbling on, on on an opportunity and whatever commodities that shall be just go for it so i suppose you just need to spread yourself so widely um mm -hmm. to get that opportunity so um yeah I would certainly say that, and I would yeah. also add that if you've got the chance, even the part-time, learn a language. Go ahead and okay. do it. Yeah, and I think that, that definitely will help. Um, for instance, I suppose if you're looking at West Africa, you might want to le learn French. If you're looking mm -hmm. at South America, I suppose Portuguese and Spanish will, will help. Um, mm, absolutely. Any other languages that people should, should, uh, should look at? Well, I think Spanish is about the best because then you've got Mexico, Central America, all of South America covered, and you can blunder your way through Portuguese and Brazil if you have to. All right, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, before we speak about sort of really what you're up to now, um, mm. I just want to ask you um, about your perception of an entrepreneur. Obviously, you're, you're branding yourself as a, a mining entrepreneur. So I just wondered if you can just give us a little bit of explanation as to what you believe a mining entrepreneur is like yourself. Well, I, I think uh, it, it's somebody who has to um, go out and embrace opportunities, opportunities out there in the marketplace. And, you know, sometimes I see things and they're just uh, staring me in the face and they're, they're so obvious, uh, obvious chances to, uh, uh, to make some money and to, uh, to have a good project that uh, you really can't, uh, can't walk away from them. Yeah. Um, one of them, for instance, you know, I, I really had no experience in, um, in sapphires. Um, but uh, I knew of the Sapphire property in Montana in the U.S. and had uh, I'd actually been to it in 1993, and uh, it was about I guess almost six years ago now that I was back in Montana doing some skiing, and I drove past the uh, uh, 
passed the property and saw for sale sign uh, nailed on a tree. And I phoned up the number on the sign and uh, I asked the guy, I said, uh, what are you looking for for the property? And he told me and I said, I'll pay you half. And he said, done. Okay. <laughs> as easy I was as that. in the sapphire business. <laughs> okay. As easy as that. But, I, but, but yeah. I, knew, I knew the potential of that property, you see, and, and yeah. he was selling it as a tourist property um, simply because it had access to uh, uh, a creek that was known to, uh, to be a good trout fishery. Um, I wasn't so much interested in that, though it is fun to go fishing. Yeah. Um, but I, I knew there were a heck of a lot of sapphires uh, uh, left there on the property. And um, gosh, we're, we're now into uh, year four of production. So okay. uh, uh, obviously there's, uh, there, there, there there's some... a hell of a lot left. <laughs> there, was, yeah. there was something that you saw that the uh, owner didn't. And uh, obviously right. you, made, and you, made, and you made it work and made it profitable as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got, you know, over the years now, and as I said, I've been working more than 30 years at this, I've got a store of these things in the yep. back of my head. And some of the things didn't make sense at the time. Uh, for for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a for instance here. I worked for the Battle Mountain Company in Australia, in Queensland, and I was working on a gold project. Uh, well, on the gold project, I drilled uh, one area, um, where I hit uh, chromite, and um, it was uh, 56 meters of, of 30, 32% chrome, um, which at the time, I, I remember I got chewed out by the uh, vice president of exploration. He told me, if you ever drill base metals for this company again, you're going to find yourself on the streets. Right, Okay. And uh, I thought this was very unkind of him and, yeah. and uncivil, but, uh, uh, you know, those numbers are higher than anything that's come, uh, come out of what they, they call the, the, the ring of fire in northern Ontario, uh, the chromite play that's going on there, the chromium play. And uh, I just haven't been back to Australia to, <laughs> to investigate this. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty busy person. I, yeah. I Maybe I should take time at some time. Yeah, mm. or you can hire someone to uh, to maybe help you and uh, have a look at that for you. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, with a obviously you you're an entrepreneur, you've got an entrepreneur's mindset. What do you think? How how would you say someone could become a, an entrepreneur? Is it something they need to learn, or is it something that comes naturally to certain people? What would you say? How would you become an entrepreneur? Well, it certainly doesn't suit everyone. And, um, you know, sometimes you're putting uh, a fair chunk of your net worth on the line uh, to get things moving. Um, in my case, I put my entire net worth on the line uh, from time to time. But um, uh, so, you know, it's I, I guess I'm a bit of a gambler. Yeah. Uh, my father was the same way and he was a bit of a salesman. He, uh, uh, for quite a few years, he, uh, he sold advertising in the yellow pages, okay. um, uh, which is long since extinct. And, uh, and he was a policeman on the beat for five years as well. So yeah. he, uh, he knew how to, uh, how to talk to people. Yeah. Uh, and I, I guess kind of through osmosis, I picked it up from him, but, uh, 
you know, I meet a lot of people, of course, in this in this industry. Um, I'm maybe a little bit different because I'm trained as a technical person, uh, but um, I'm also uh, running companies and meeting with the public all the time and and doing things like this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, uh, you know, there's a lot of technical people. I know geologists who would not have any comfort level yeah. uh, doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you need to, to move forward. Sometimes you need to get out of that comfort level. For instance, myself, just doing this podcast, initially when I first started, I didn't know what I was getting getting myself into. Um, I thoroughly mm. enjoy it now. I think I think it's great. Um, but initially, those first few steps, um, mm. and especially like for instance, the first podcast that I that, uh, the first podcast of this uh, uh, dig deep is myself mm -hmm. talking for about 20, 25 minutes. So that was a bit that was outside my comfort zone, but I knew how to do it, and I just jumped straight in and done it. So I think sometimes you do you need to feel comfortable uncomfortable um, mm -hmm. and that's how how you grow as a person so i suppose sometimes if it's something you you're willing to do this could be anything um is looked at how you actually go about doing it and then just go in and and, and practice and and just jump straight into it which i think is an entrepreneur is part of a what an entrepreneur does like yourself Mm hmm. Well, I, I must say, I think you're doing it very, very well. Thank you. <laughs> so my compliments. Appreciate but, that. Um, do, do you know, um, I, uh, you asked me before we got started here about uh, a, a site that I have. Uh, it's not a business, but a, um, a, uh, a website called straighttalkonmining.com. Yep. And this is an interesting story. I started this thing in, in 2001. Uh, after I'd lost my job in South Africa, and uh, I was having a job, uh, having a hard time, um, really kinding, uh, kind of putting some money together and getting a project going. And I, I was very interested in in Ecuador uh, and and um, you know kind of feeling my way there to put uh, uh, the Aurelian company together. Uh, but I started up this uh, website, Straight Talk on Mining. Uh, really to educate the, the, the lay public about uh, mining and how to inter interpret press releases and okay. spot scams and things like this. And really, uh, part of it uh, was, uh, I suppose, uh, just uh, uh, my uh, an extension of, you know, as I said, I'm an adjunct professor now. I just wanted to impart some of my wisdom uh, to the lay public, but uh, also it was, a, a, I must confess, a bit of selfless, uh, uh, a selfish uh, self-promotion on my part to get my name back out there, because yeah. when I came back from South Africa, it was like I died, <laughs> right, and, okay. and nobody back in Canada knew who I was or yeah. anything. I'd been away too long, so yeah. I started up this site, and I remember uh, trying to raise the first bunch of money for for uh, from Aurelian for the uh, the project down in Ecuador, and I met with uh, John Embry, and John Embry was uh, one of the senior people in Sprott Asset Management, and uh, I went into his office and he said, "Hey, I know you. You're the guy who writes on the internet." Okay. And I said, "Oh, you, I I said you read my stuff." He says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a subscriber." 
and I, I've never charged any money for it, but yeah. I collect names on it. And I said, well, I don't remember your name. He says, oh, yeah, no, I'm there as, uh, under an alias. All right. But he says, <laughs> I, I, I read all of your stuff, and it's great. And he phoned, he gets got his secretary on the line, and he said, clear my afternoon. i got to talk to this guy. Nice. So I spent the whole afternoon with him. And he gave me the first order for one million bucks right. of the three million that I raised. So, and and everyone, when they said, well, when they found out that Embry was in, they all wanted to get in as well. Right. Okay. So so it really did get my my foot in the door uh, with uh, with the the major financiers of uh, the junior mining scene in Canada, and then it kind of went from strength to strength after that. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it, again, it was putting myself out there and, yeah. uh, and sharing my opinion. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, talk about specific companies, including my own. It was just kind of general knowledge. It's still up there. The, yeah, the yeah. site's still there. Uh, I don't often get the chance to write for it now, but every once in a while that I, I do. And uh, gosh, when I was actively writing, I, I was getting up to 30,000 hits. Right. Okay, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot of traffic, and that's before uh, really YouTube and Instagram and all the rest of them got going. So, uh, yeah. um, oh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Maybe you can put this podcast on the on that website then, so I can. Get, oh yeah. So I can get some more exposure in Canada. I'd be delighted. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 are you gonna sort of maybe continue doing a little bit of that then? Because it's it's interesting how you just sort of formed a website you then mm. wrote about certain uh, around certain topics gave your opinions and just mm. kept that up and obviously people slowly subscribe to that and suddenly you go out and try and raise some money from someone that a subscriber to you and instantly they bought into you from mm -hmm. from that um and that's got your foot straight in the door so that's that's really interesting um mm -hmm. so again anyone that is looking to probably raise finance look at i suppose look at things like that um doesn't have to be the same it could be something quite similar um mm. but i suppose it takes a bit of time to get traction before you get to that but you've got to start somewhere and you've got to be persistent mm -hmm. yeah well well one of the things that i learned later on uh with the aurelian company um this is really in the early days of uh, chat rooms and things like yeah. that and there were there were people who uh, they were retail investors in the company and they were following the company on um, almost like an hourly hour to hour basis it was amazing how engaged these people were and, and they would be online for seven eight hours a day my father was retired and he was kind of monitoring this so he would never post and he would uh, give me a report uh, every couple of days and tell me you know who was on and what they were saying and all the rest because I didn't have time to follow it yeah. but there were people who were kind of living vicariously on the internet and following all the exploration that we were doing and there would be all this speculation what's Keith going to do next week uh, where do you think the next drill target's going <laughs> to be uh, <coughs> stuff like this and and and, and do you think you, you know do you, do you think they're going to hit the big one this kind of stuff and um, and so it, it was an amazing thing. And I learned uh, a, a real valuable lesson from that. And so um, when I started uh, the Arania company, which is my my uh, 
my present uh, company focused in Ecuador. Um, well, uh, the, the story starts in a, a little bit of a, a, another different way. I was working with a, an elderly professor of history, and he um, sadly got uh, Parkinson's disease and was yeah. starting to lose the ability to speak. And we wanted to capture him on video, and we yeah. shot about 20 hours uh, of, of video with him. Uh, and we just wanted to keep it really for posterity's sake. Yeah. And um, and then it occurred to me, you know what? Uh, we should share this stuff with a broader audience. And so we started to make uh, these little vignettes, nothing really longer than five minutes because we thought the public wouldn't have uh, you know, a lot of them have an attention span of a gnat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they couldn't hit up, put up with me for more than five minutes. So uh, we cut it down to five minutes and we started to put these things together. And they've been enormously popular. Yeah. And as a result of that, we've had uh, Bloomberg come down to the property. Uh, we had Vice HBO come down to the property and, and shoot uh, they shot a seven-minute video from 16 hours of, of material yeah. uh, collected over a week. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's really uh, been a, a wonderful way to engage with the, uh, with the shareholders. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and, also, and, and also it demonstrates uh, transparency uh, with the, uh, the authorities in Ecuador and with the indigenous people working, uh, living in our area. Uh, of what we do all the time. Yeah. What, why so, do you think it was so popular? Uh, why? Yeah. Was there anything why behind it? it so why you think? What? Why you thought that the video was quite popular? Aha. Uh -huh. Well, you see, the the project is called the Lost Cities Project, and uh, and I I've been working or was working with this professor of history for more than ten years. We started in 1998. And uh, got sidetracked when Aurelian uh, found its gold. I mean, sidetracked in a very nice way, uh, but didn't get back to the research until 2008 uh, after the company was sold. And then we took the exploration worldwide, um, exploration meaning uh, going through archives. Um, we spent a year and a half in the archive of the Indies in Seville and Spain. Um, we hired two archivists who worked for us full time. Uh, we ended up in the Vatican in the manuscript library, okay. found some extremely interesting stuff there. Um, we were in Lima and Peru. We went through, all, of course, all the, uh, all the different uh, uh, um, things, depositories of, of colonial information in, in Ecuador. But we were looking specifically for two places, one called Lagroño de los Caballeros and the other one called Sevilla de, de Oro. Uh, both of which operated for about 30 to 35 years in, uh, in the southeastern part of Ecuador. Uh, they were both discoveries made by the Spanish conquistadors, and they were um, destroyed and deserted uh, after 1605. Uh, the Spaniards made uh, uh, many, many attempts to regain them. Um, they were using the indigenous people as forced labor, and of course they weren't too happy about it, and they would rebel every so often and put every Spanish person they could find to the sword. And um, eventually that's, that's what happened uh, with these areas, and then the jungle just reclaimed them, and okay. so they've been lost ever since. Hmm. But the professor had a very strange 
uh, a job uh, for a history professor. He was hired by the Department of Mines in 19, uh, around 1982 after one of these uh, places called Nambiha, uh, which is also a colonial gold mine uh, that had been destroyed and deserted in 1603, was discovered in 81 by two boys hunting wild boar in the forest. And within one month, there were 25,000 miners there. Oh. And on the record, it produced 2.7 million ounces of gold. <laughs> right, so, okay. you know, this is, this is not a story out of Treasure Island. It's, yeah. it's real. And these places were real. And, of course, you know, uh, the, uh, the professor was given a job by the government to uh, research other ones uh, because the government knew there were other ones lost in the, in the jungle. And they figured if we can secure them, uh, and secure the rights uh, and keep the artisanal miners out of there, then we could sell them to companies like Barrick and Newmont and, and whatnot. And then people would actually pay taxes on the uh, uh, on the production rather than having just the chaotic mess in a shanty town and lots and lots of mercury pollution, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So um, they engaged the professor, and the professor spent uh, two years going through archives in Ecuador. Uh, found hundreds and hundreds of documents uh, related to, um, you know, uh, accountancy, uh, uh, the ledgers of uh, gold production, um, testimonials of people who had lived and defended the areas, uh, looking for uh, maybe uh, uh, noble titles or uh, pieces of land or petitioning for, for pensions, government pensions. All this stuff went through the courts yeah. in Spain, and it was all recorded by court scribes, and then it ended up, uh, most of it, in Seville and Spain at the Archive of the Indies. Uh, so you can dig these things out. And uh, so we kind of put together a, a matrix um, based on uh, all the uh, the information that we could put together from the uh, historical uh, narratives and uh, decided to apply for a very, very large land position in Ecuador, 208,000 hectares. It's over half a million acres. Yeah. And that's what we're currently exploring. Now, we haven't found the lost cities yet, uh, but we've only covered 35% of the concessions. Uh, but... We are finding things almost on a weekly basis, and we're very, very close to uh, drilling our very first target, okay. uh, which will be a, a gold-silver epithermal-type target, yeah. uh, which was found by geochemistry. Certainly, uh, the conquistadors uh, had no inkling it was there, nor could they have ever found it. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, um, the historical writings have got us in the right piece of real estate, and then using uh, modern uh, scientific method, uh, we've been able to uh, to cover the the property and and find, uh, gosh, we've got in excess of of, of seven eight uh, gold targets now, and uh, about an equivalent number of, of copper porphyry targets. Okay. So it's uh, it's going very very well indeed. Yeah, I wonder if you can obviously tell us about a couple of the you know, obviously you've got three companies. Uh, I wondered if you mm. want to give us a overview of those and any any um, exciting projects that you're you're involved in at the moment. Well, um, the the my main focus is Aurelian Resources uh, Limited, which is listed on on the TSXV in Canada. It's also listed. 
um, over the counter in, in the U.S. and yeah. uh, it's on the uh, on exchange in Frankfurt. Um, I'm I'm chairman um, and CEO of that company, Chief Cook and Bottle Washer, <laughs> and it's it's my certainly my main love and uh, and my main focus. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very much engaged with that on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, I have a, uh, a zinc company in Guatemala called Firestone, uh, which I'm, I'm chairman and, and president of, uh, it's inactive right at the moment. Uh, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it. Um, but, uh, it does have some very, very interesting pro, uh, prospects. Uh, and then um, the other one is a company that I founded back in 2004 privately. It's called U308 Corp. It's a uranium company. Uh, it was going very, very well indeed until Fukushima happened and kind of yeah. took the steam out of things. Um, but uh, we have a, a very exciting project in, in, uh, in Patagonia in Argentina, a uh, very shallow uh, um, uh, uranium hosted in uh, um, an unconsolidated gravel. You can uh, you can mine it with a uh, an ordinary trowel, a garden trowel, if you wanted to. Um, and um, it's uh, it's it's a pretty significant grade. The thing that's interesting about it is that the uranium occurs with vanadium, and vanadium has really really been taking off in price because it's one of the battery metals. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, we're, uh, we're very excited about, uh, the prospects for, for that company. Yeah. Um, obviously talking about obviously commodities and you've obviously covered a number of different commodities and rare earth metals. Um, what commodities would you say? And I think I put a post on this on LinkedIn the other week and getting mm -hmm. people's opinions. Um, what commodities would you say are going to be a sort of major force over the coming years? Well, um, do you still stick with gold and copper, or do you see some of these other battery type metals making a making headway within the within the market? Well, certainly gold is um, gold is in a situation where uh, we've had peak gold. Uh, it looks like uh, from here on out. Uh, the uh, really the low-hanging fruit has been picked, yeah. and it's going to get harder and more expensive to find gold deposits. Uh, there are very, very few frontier areas like uh, where we're working at Ecuador. Very few of those left uh, anywhere on the planet. So uh, it's uh, you know it's forecasted that um, gold production is going to drop um, almost off a cliff here over the next couple of years. Uh, really because there was very little uh, done uh, for expiration. Uh, you know, it takes a long, long lead time to get these things in production, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least seven, eight years, sometimes 15 years. Yeah. And uh, 15 years ago, people were focused on, on tech and on, uh, on, you know, the NASDAQ had its great run and, uh, and, and, all, and all that stuff. And, uh, recently, we've had uh, a similar sort of phenomenon in the Canadian markets anywhere where people have been enamored with Bitcoin yeah. and cryptocurrencies and cannabis. Uh, yeah. and, 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 and a lot of the money that would normally go, uh, venture capital go into junior mining investment yeah. has been sucked out by that. I yeah. think it's changed. Yeah. I think the gold market has changed very much. We're starting to see a reversal. And actually, if you were to, to plot the gold price up, 
in um, emerging market currencies right now, and including things like the South African Rand, the Russian ruble, you'll see it's at an all-time high. Yeah, uh, It's not an, at an all-time high for things like the Swiss franc, though it's not too far away, or the Canadian dollar, though, again, the same with the, the Australian dollar. Uh, but you know it's it's stubborn with the uh, with the American dollar, but the American dollar is going to turn turtle at some point due to the te the debt situation that they have, uh, which is is really crushing. And uh, you know President Trump is fo focusing on the um, on the economy and talking about the numbers and how many people are employed and the growth numbers and all the rest of it. But this is a very shallow statistic when. Uh, the whole thing is built on debts, yeah. and the debt is going to come back and haunt them, and you're going to see the, the U.S. dollar plunge, and when you see that happen, you'll see uh, the gold price really start to take off, the silver price yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I've always been a big, big fan of precious metals and continue to be. Now, um, we were at a very unique time in history. Uh, because of the the advent of electric cars and, and your typical electric car is is using uh, 75 kilos of, of copper yeah. uh, versus 25 kilos in a, uh, a, a a car a typical gasoline uh, powered car uh, and now there are mandates around the world especially in the EU to see uh, combustion combustion engines uh, you know, our, our love affair with that finishing uh, over the next uh, 10, 15 years to be mm. replaced by electric cars. Yeah. Nobody's talking about where the copper is going to come That's from. Not, yeah. uh, though the copper market is scheduled to go into a deficit situation within the next year. Right. In fact, uh, if you look at some statistics now, you can argue it's already happened. Um, mm. So you know, we um, the the pundits out there say that really we have to find another Escondida every year. That's the world's largest copper yeah. deposit. Every year going forward, we, we have to find another one. Yeah, because obviously and, tripling, tripling the output. So you've got to that's find right. these big so big deposits. Where we're going to have to have um, certainly the, the the metal price is going to have to go up to kickstart the expiration. Yeah. Uh, and um, but I I can see um, a number of uh, copper deposits, which per, perhaps today are not economic, going to become economic um, just because the demand is going to be there worldwide. So I'm yeah. a, a real a big fan of copper, and in fact, you know, in, in Ecuador, we're finding lots and lots of copper, and, and I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. Uh, um, battery metals, okay, uh, I'm sitting on the fence a little bit because uh, I see the technology so rapidly changing, and, uh, you know, when you, you see things like uh, situations where people aren't allowed to carry lithium batteries in their in their uh, luggage anymore yeah. on the plane because yeah. people are afraid they're going to spontaneously combust and explode yeah. and everything like this. Uh, the industry is looking for uh, alternatives. Uh, Lithium is very expensive right now. Uh, there's a limited supply of it. Um, so I think there's a, a lot of uh, investment going into uh, kind of uh, a laptop uh, or, or uh, a lab uh, um, uh, investigations of, of different metals out there 
and uh, at different ways to to uh, quickly and easily and safely produce electricity for for electric cars. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, there's I'm not going to ma- mention the name of the company, but we all know who they are, who have been talking about uh, 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 producing a a uh, a semi trailer, a, a big a big rig that's going to be battery powered. But uh, they fail to tell you how much those batteries are going to weigh <laughs> yeah. and how much is going to cut into the payload yeah. of the actual vehicle, right? Yeah. And, and this is a very, very big problem uh, for, for the industry because these things are heavy. Hmm. Um, so they've got to find a way to cut the weight. And, and I, I am a big believer in... Uh, kind of Yankee ingenuity here, and somebody's going to figure out something that's going to uh, uh, change the situation. So uh, I I am not a person who wants to get focused uh, 100% on cobalt or on uh, on lithium or on uh, some of the other things, you know, germanium, scandium, uh, some of these uh, uh, lesser-known metals that, that people are uh, playing around with right mm. now. Uh, vanadium, vanadium, I think is different because uh, vanadium has potential to for storage uh, for uh, utilities, uh, and I'm not talking about uh, storage in your laptop or or anything like this. These are big, big industrial-sized uh, batteries that are the size of warehouses. Uh, they're wet batteries. They're they're pools of vanadium salts. Uh, that are, are are dissolved in various liquids, and uh, they can be charged uh, a, a million billion times. In fact, they they never run out, so you can okay. continuously uh, charge them, uh, them run out, and charge them again. And I think that is uh, is the future for the big utilities, because the problem with the utilities like uh, solar and and wind right now. Is that you get these spikes uh, when uh, you know when uh, maximum uh, solar power is out there, and uh, and so what happens? Your output is very uneven. Uh, some days you can't produce any solar energy at all, and so you need to find a way of storing that energy so you can smooth it out on the grid. Yeah. And and so vanadium is is the answer. It seems to be the answer today, anyway. And the Chinese are, are busy building uh, the world's largest battery, uh, uh, simply to uh, to demonstrate this. Um, so you know, gosh, I've been around for so long. I've seen platinum booms. I've seen palladium booms. I've seen rare earth booms, and all these things have kind of gone up and down and uh, and petered out. Um, uh, you know, there's there's always something that's flavor of the month, yeah. and quite often uh, you see companies. They were an IT company one week, and they're a cobalt company <laughs> yeah. the next week. Yeah, understand. And uh, maybe uh, the the following week they'll be a cannabis company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting so, when I when I went to yeah. that Mines and Money and speaking to a few Canadians and. And obviously, ask them what they're thinking about the event, and they say London is obviously the the main centre to to raise finance. And they were saying they're struggling to raise finance in Canada because all the money is going into cannabis farming, um, yes. which I didn't really 
see that or notice that until I was speaking to a few people. Um, but they said, yeah. uh, and I spoke to a few other investors, and they said they they invested in that, but they've got their money out because they see it coming to an end pretty soon. So yeah, it was it was hyped hyped yeah. uh, continuously, uh, and then it was made legal. Yeah, and I think now um, now there's been a, a lot of consolidation. Yeah. Um, it's mostly American companies who are moving into Canada and taking it over as we. Yeah expected and so the uh, the small Canadian producers squeezed out probably permanently um, and so it's had its run yeah yeah um, yeah um, I just want to slowly slowly wrap this up um, uh-huh. but obviously being Canadian I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the obviously the recent acquisitions by uh, Barrick Barrick Gold and Newmont um, mm-hmm. And just wonder what your thoughts are on that, and how it might change the the gold market and the gold industry. Well, the the Barrick and Rangold thing was, I think, more of a, a takeover uh, by Rangold of of Barrick yeah. than anything else. And uh, and Mr. Bristow is somebody who's uh, you know he's he's taken Rangold. He started the company himself. He's taken it to very great heights. Uh, he's got a real reputation of being a maverick. Yeah. Um, I mean, immediately uh, he took the reins. Uh, he started to cut the fat. Uh, I think 90 people were left uh, were let go out of the Toronto office. Um, I know of one uh, company up in the Yukon uh, that immediately um, they uh, Barrick got out of a joint venture with them. Uh, there's a number of things that are being critically evaluated right now, uh, um, and um, you know it's going to be um, going back to basics. Yeah. And um, you know it used to be this business used to be uh, ounces for ounces' sake, and um, you didn't really capture the attention of uh, the investment bankers or the uh, the big institutions, pension funds, and such. Unless you were the biggest out there, yeah. so you had to have gold in the reserve. But as uh, as we found out, most of these gold reserves were not economic reserves. Uh, a lot of them uh, would never be economic at a two thousand dollar gold price. Yeah. Um, so we had uh, kind of a, a come to Jesus moment by uh, <laughs> a lot of the senior management of the 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 mining companies around the world. And uh, and the ones who really really didn't get the message are the ones that uh, are, are are targets now for for mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Uh, I think John Bristow is going to really much uh, uh, turn um, turn the Barrick uh, Rangold uh, entity around. Uh, it's going to be lean and mean. It's going to be focused, and I think it's going to make a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. Now, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Barrick uh, got the mantle of uh, of largest gold producer, and I think they had it for about two and a half weeks. <laughs> <Yeah. now. laughs> and now Newmont's taken over. Yeah, now Newmont's made a play for 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 Gold Corp. Now, uh, Gold Corp is uh, really uh, it, it it's fallen a little bit off of my radar since it was run by uh, Rob McEwen. And Rob McEwen, of course, uh, did absolutely wonderful things for uh, for the company. He started the company, and then uh, with the Red Lake Mine, uh, turned that thing around 
uh, it was basically a basket case and, yeah. and uh, on its last legs and gave it a new lease of life and uh, and it's been a, a fantastic mm. high grade uh, tremendous asset since then um, but I think uh, after uh, Rob left the company uh, the management has kind of lost its way uh, maybe got into some things that uh, were not uh, uh, not going to make uh, too much money uh, for the company got into some uh, political maybe some political regimes that uh, um, are, are a little bit harder to deal with I don't know uh, mm. of course I, I don't know the internal workings of the company yeah. but um, they were punished by the shareholders um, by the markets and uh, their share price has been steadily eroding uh, to the point where they got into uh, territory where they're potentially a takeout. Yeah. So uh, Newmont's pounced on them. Um, they're going to pick up some great assets, and um, uh, all power to them. Uh, you know, the Newmont management uh, uh, is Newmont's going to be the uh, the company for Americans, and I think uh, going forward we will see a lot of American-focused investment back into gold. And it will be the thing that they can go to uh, the easiest. Yeah. Um, so I think this is an incredibly uh, positive strategic move that Newmont has made. Uh, but I think we're going to see uh, a whole bunch of other companies here in the short term um, get uh, potential uh, uh, hostile or friendly takeovers uh, coming out. Um, you know, it's... Uh, uh, you could not have done uh, uh, the Newmont deal uh, as, you know, even a month and a half ago. I don't yeah. think the audience uh, was out there in the marketplace uh, ready for it. But I think the gold price is, is turned a corner. Um, it's almost 1300 bucks, and uh, it's moving up. And, uh, you know, there's really... Uh, nothing that's potentially on the horizon that's going to hold it back. Okay. So um, uh, I, I think we'll see a lot more uh, acquisitions. Um, there's certainly a lot going on in the, in the junior space. And companies are raising money, and there's a lot of uh, very, very interesting uh, uh, new discoveries being made. Yeah. Can you point any out, any discoveries that you think uh, are going to do well? Well, I'm 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 CEO of of, uh, <laughs> of a couple of companies, and, and probably my shareholders and my board wouldn't be uh, happy if I was pointing uh, investors in the direction of other companies. Understand? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, understand. But, uh, you know, we're we're uh, I think uh, certainly Arania is is poised and, and yeah. ready to uh, uh, to to make a discovery here. I I you know we're going to be drilling. Uh, a gold silver epithermal target called Crunchy Hill uh, yeah. in the very near term here. And, um, you know, I, I own more than 51% of the company. Uh, I'm very much aligned with the shareholders. So if, uh, if we don't uh, hit uh, and, uh, and have a discovery here, well, we've got a lot of other targets in our back pocket. Yeah. So I'm not really... Uh, scared about that, and yeah. and I I'm sensible enough to know 
uh, that uh, you know you usually don't hit on the very first drill hole. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's like winning the lottery. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know it takes perseverance and 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 hard work to. Uh, uh, you know, they say you have to. You don't find deposits, you ha- or find mines. You have to build them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'm. That's where most of my money is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Underst- uh, and uh, and that's uh, that's where I place my bets. Yeah, understand. Um, mm. So just to slowly wrap this up, just uh, last uh, five minutes or so, just with a few uh, quick fire questions. Um, mm. Why do you enjoy mining? Obviously, been in it for quite a while now, but what, why do you enjoy mining? Well, uh, I'm not so much engaged in mining, but in, in exploration. Yeah. And exploration is a, a hell of a buzz. You know, I've said on my website numerous times, and I've said it uh, at, at conferences, uh, it's potentially the most lucrative thing out there uh, rather than engaging in some sort of nefarious activity like cocaine smuggling, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's perfectly legal. Yeah, it's perfectly legal, and you know you can turn a, a piece of of moose pasture in Canada or a piece of 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 of, of tropical swamp in South America yeah. into something that's worth uh, billions. You mm. know the uh, the the Aurelian discovery, uh, which I made. Uh, back in 2006, uh, my company made 2006. We uh, the stock went up 9,000 percent. It went from 46 cents to 43 dollars. Right. Uh, made a lot of people millionaires. Yeah. And uh, and created a hell of a lot of wealth. Uh, it's just about to go into production in September of this year with London Gold, and it's going to be about three and a half percent of the GDP for the country. Right. And that's a hell of a boost yeah. for and I'm for the whole country for the Republic of Ecuador. Yeah. Um so and you know if if I had not had the idea to to create a, a, a an exploration company back in 2001 hell maybe it'd be another 100 years or or never. Certainly. So uh, apart yeah. from obviously developing this you're helping the com- the country especially with their mm. GDP obviously it's quite a big proportion of their gdp i suppose helping all the local communities in and around so you're affecting a lot of people's lives not just the people that have had inputted money into into uh, your company but also where the mine is the the country so you're affecting a lot of people which is which is great absolutely absolutely great yeah yeah there's two thousand people on site right now working away yeah and they're, they're more than a thousand meters underground in fact they've got the Twin declines all the way down to the ore body now. So now they're starting to develop uh, the levels uh, that they'll mine from within the ore body, and this is—it's uh, an incredible validation. It's mm. fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, gosh, uh, you know, why do I like doing this? I like to make discovery. Uh, I mean, obviously, from the uh, uh, financial situation, it's—it's uh, it's done wonders for me. Yeah. Uh, but it uh, it's it's just a, a real wonderful thing, uh, and um, you know it's like uh, it's like creating a new invention. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I think it's uh, it's it's an important part of our society, um, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna try to keep continue to keep doing it as long as I can. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, who's been the most influential person? On you within within your mining career. Well, I think um, I've had a number of uh, 
I've had a number of professors at university who um, were very, very um, uh, important in encouraging me. Uh, my uh, my old uh, geology teacher from high school in the Isle of Man uh, still follows what we're doing on our website. I, I guess he, he must be in his mid, mid-80s now, uh, and he's just thrilled. In fact, you know, he, uh, he taught geology for the very first year uh, in my year, and out of a class, I think, of about 15 of us, five of us became professional geologists. Okay. And, and that's, a, that's a real... Uh, that's uh, uh, you know that's that's due to his uh, his teaching yeah. and, and, and inspiration, um, and I I would certainly have to include my, my own father who was a, a gold bug from a, a kind of time immemorial. He started to buy gold back in 1965 uh, when he saw. Uh, the Americans spending so much money on the Vietnam War and figured yeah. that the uh, that the um, uh, gold would have to break away from the American dollar, and, and of course, uh, you know, Nixon opened the or closed the gold window, and that was the end of that. And mm. then gold had its first run. Yeah. Um, so you know, he was a subscriber to uh, the Northern Miner newspaper, uh, and I used to pick it up you know, from age of five, six, seven years <laughs> on, uh, I'm still a subscriber today. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it's, I guess it's in my blood. <laughs> yeah. Did you win a, a, an award? Did I read that you won an award? A Nord- I a won the, uh, well, I, I, uh, I was one of the people uh, together with the rest of the uh, Aurelian senior team uh, who won the uh, Thayer Lindsley uh, Discovery Award for uh, 2008 for the Prospector, uh, the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, uh, and I was the uh, one of the three Northern Miner, uh, 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 um, Northern Miner Mining Men of the Year in 2008. Okay. Congratulations! So, uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, it's 10 years ago now, yeah. uh, so uh, people say to me. Uh, uh, you know what have you done light, lately? In fact, it, it's funny. Uh, after I, I won the war, the award, I I ran into Ron Netlitsky, who uh, and Ron is uh, certainly a, um, a a very famous person in, in mining circles and made many discoveries himself. And he said to me, Keith, you got to go out and do it again. The first time might just be a fluke. <laughs> but i don't i don't believe that i don't believe that <laughs> let's hope not no um is there anything else you still want to achieve uh or just more well, discoveries uh, obviously i suppose with your operations that you've got but more discoveries i mean is there anything anything major that you still want to achieve well you know now that they found evidence of flowing water on mars certainly yep. there's going to be uh, placer gold opportunities there, but I don't think I'm going to live long enough to, to, get, to, to get to Mars. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, I, I I'm I'm quite happy with what I'm doing, and mm. uh, and I think that uh, I've got a fantastic team of people, very very dedicated, uh, great geologists, um, and um, you know, we'll 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 all work together. We're all working towards the same goal. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'll continue to do do this as far as uh, as long as I'm able. Yeah, 
Um, where do you see the future of mining? Well, um, you know, they, they, they have this thing called disrupt mining in Canada, uh, looking at various new technologies. And, and I think one of the big things uh, will be um, really capture of um, historical information. And as I said, you know, through my work, I went back through the archives in, mm. in Seville and Spain and, and, and numerous other places, including the Vatican. Now, I'm not talking about that far back, but, uh, you know, you've got many, many places like uh, the Witwatersrand going back to the 1880s. You've got in Canada uh, gold mines in the Timmins area going back to the First World War. Uh, you've got the Ballarat Bendigo area. You've got the Kolar Goldfield in India, uh, Kalgoorlie. Uh, mm. Many, many old uh, mining camps. And uh, I think uh, with present technology, we're able to take um, you know all the old mining history and the records and put them all together and consolidate them. And I know that in, in some cases, people have created... Uh, virtual rooms. They have uh, virtual uh, 3D glasses that they wear, and they can uh, kind of uh, stand in a virtual stope and look okay. around and, and identify uh, where there are places that have been missed. Mm. And so I think uh, there'll be a lot in the future, a lot of going back into old historical areas and giving them a second look. Le uh, uh, certainly Red Lake uh, at yeah, 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 and I, I, I think that there's there's a, a massive potential to do that. Mm. Um, in terms of, uh, I don't think there's kind of a ma magic bullet uh, for gold uh, mining like uh, like there was with oil with fracking. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's going to be uh, an easy way ever uh, to find gold. Um, it's simply, uh, it's going to get harder and, and, and harder to find it. Uh, but maybe we'll, we'll just get a little bit smarter Yeah. and, um, you know, and able to look, uh, at the subsurface a little bit, uh, more in detailed way. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see all, all kinds of, of new, uh, benefits, I think in, uh, in geophysics, geochemistry, uh, and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, incremental, though. I mean, you know, I don't think we're going to see something that's going to be earth-shattering here. Yeah, yeah. Lastly, uh, any advice that you give sort of any mining professionals uh, in the industry to sort of develop or better themselves? Oh, wow. I don't know if I'm the, the person to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I said to the student, my, my career has been very much a fractal path. And it's yeah. certainly not gotten a, in, in one direction. And... and uh, there's no way when I was a, a, an undergrad uh, that I could have uh, in any way envisioned uh, doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think uh, maybe um, people should have a kind of a, a broad target where they're hoping they're going to be in 10 or 15 years. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, in the meantime, approach things in, in baby steps and uh, and do the best that you can over the next two, three years. Um, certainly, I, I'm a real big believer in joining scientific societies and subscribing to journals and reading as much as you can yeah. about uh, geology in different parts of the world. 
because there are new new ideas coming out uh, all the time. Yeah. And uh, and try to keep up up to speed as as much as you can with the literature. A, a lot of people, when they graduate from the university, that's it. Uh, they never open a book again, and uh, and I think that's uh, that's wrong. I've, I'm mm-hmm. sitting here in my office, and I'm completely surrounded by books. I've got books on the floor. <laughs> I put them on the ceiling if I could. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just keep re-educating yourself, keep learning all the time, keep persistence, um, and just yeah, just keep going, and things will get better if you put the effort. I suppose if you put the effort in, um, yep. but like you said, keep 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 your knowledge up keep learning everything that's coming into the industry, new things that are developing and yeah, keeping a, ahead of the game. Well, it's, uh, I, I don't know where this uh, phrase originated from, but I certainly use it. Uh, the, the harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true. I so, mean, the, the more work you do, um, I wouldn't say necessarily it is luck, but the more work you do, the more opportunities that are open to you and, and come to you as well. So, yes. and you could call that luck, but you've put everything out there and being persistent, going down avenues that probably people, other people don't go down. Um, mm. And one of those, one of those avenues, there's a, uh, a gold pot at the end of the, at the end of the, oh, we pot at the, the end door. of the rainbow. Yeah, I was going to say rainbow, but um, if you go down the avenue, yeah, you'll, you'll get yeah. to that. So um, mm. it's just, like you said, getting yourself out there and, uh, looking at every avenue and um, trying to make things happen. That's right. So, That's yeah. right. Just if you run into any nasty leprechauns, then uh, just keep being persistent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Keith, for obviously taking the time to do, uh, to discuss your career um, and your obviously entrepreneur journey and, and give us a good insight to what you're involved in and what you see the future of mining. Um, if the audience wants to contact you, how can they go about doing that? Um, well, uh, you can take a look at my my uh, my blog, which is straighttalkonmining.com. Yep. I've got information there, how to get a hold of me. Um, certainly, you can get a hold of me, uh, Keith, at arania.com, A-U-R-A-N-I-A. Yep. Uh, if you look at the Arania site, I invite everyone to have a look at the videos. They're very entertaining, um, and I, I think they're very uh, uh very instructive as well yeah. so uh, we spent a lot of time and effort uh, putting them together and uh, uh, and they're there for uh, for your viewing pleasure I might add you know I've been approached by five production companies now to okay. film reality TV around us right okay. of them, I, is that something... all, all of them no yeah they I mean... want to Go on, they on. want to script it. Okay. Got you. <laughs> and you can't, you can't script something in a public uh, public company scenario. Yeah. But um, yeah, they 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 love our stuff. <laughs> yeah. Have you looked at maybe having your own own maybe show or maybe a, a documentary that you could potentially put on YouTube, for instance? Uh, well, down the road, uh, yep. we've been thinking about that, and we've been shooting all of our material yep. uh, on the advice of, a, of one production company that said, look, if you do make a nice big discovery, we'd be very interested in, in, uh, in putting a couple of documentaries or maybe a, a series together uh, using all your, in, all your stuff, uh, hmm. but after the fact. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, hmm. we're, we're, we're preparing for... I don't know if that's an eventuality, but uh, 
uh, you know, it'd be a, a it'd be a lot of fun if that actually happens. Yep. And are you on any social media platforms at all? Do you get involved in that? Uh, I don't have the time. Right. Um, okay. Certainly, the the company has got yeah. Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, but yeah. uh, uh, no, I you know uh, the the videos that we produce in house is about as far as I yeah. I go. The last one I did, I uh, I I played uh, Papa Noel. Uh, for 60 children, uh, I think I lost about five kilos uh, <laughs> right, wearing yeah. a red wool suit uh, <laughs> yeah. just just before Christmas, and uh, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, alternatively, you can obviously contact myself if you want to ask Keith any questions, um, and my email address is rob at mining-international.org, which I, um, I can forward any questions that you have to Keith. Um, well, thank you for listening. Um, hope you really hope you enjoyed this podcast. I certainly did. Um, and until next time, happy mining. Thanks for listening to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining.